Hello everyone and welcome to Let's Talk HR. Today we're going to take on a bit of a tricky subject which is feeling safe at work and sometimes it can be really difficult to understand how you can make people feel safe at work but there are obviously things that you can do to make people feel more comfortable, challenging appropriately, psychological safety and we're going to talk about a range of different things from recognising and addressing safety concerns, creating safe environments, building psychological safety because you can't get there straight away sometimes it has to be built over time and empower employees to speak up today i am joined by claire ingle from fertility matters at work that's the full name and yes other jobs <laughs> how are you doing and claire other stuff i'm all right yeah. thanks are you i'm good i'm good you you you've recently um got an entire set of documentation published with the cipd haven't you for guidance for people seeking fertility yeah. treatment at work yeah, we fed into that. I was really pleased. It's on my, I think I put it on my Twitter feed and on LinkedIn. It's, um, they published it and they're getting a lot of traction around it. I checked with them last week. So I was just interested um, how many people had accessed the support. So I'm going to go back to them in six months to see if they can give me any figures. But first of its kind for the CIPD, since I first wrote to them in 2018, so they've definitely made headway there. Well done. And, you know, it takes us on straight away understanding workplace safety feeling safe at work if you take something like fertility treatment where there's not as much legal protection as you would be if you were pregnant and stuff like that wow. these are massive steps in feeling safe at work aren't they just thinking about people who are potentially in vulnerable situations and how do you build safety around them yeah i mean there's there's loads of stuff james now isn't there in terms of safety at work so i was, I was thinking about this in i did actually prepare for this session you'll Ooh. be pleased to know <laughs> and i was thinking you know like post-industrial revolution and introduction of safe health and safety laws and everything like that safety was more around the am i physically safe and i think the evolution's gone into the am i psychologically safe now because if you think about um just things like i don't know not, not the word i want data um just just oh god i can't i can't think what i want to say um this is a good start, isn't it? That's why we don't do them at six o'clock normally, is it? I know. God, it's been a long day. Um, development of oh, okay. uh, technology. That's what I want to say. Thank you, Claire. Well done. Development of technology. You know, a lot of manual jobs have been replaced by machines, so there isn't as much need to look after people's safety as such as in the traditional sense. But in terms of the stuff we're talking about tonight, as well as the... Um, physical safety, the psychological safety and people feeling that they can bring them, their whole selves to work. There's a whole element around that, isn't there, that I can get divorced or I can come out as being gay or I can, you know, do something at work or do something in my private life and it's not going to cause me detriment and harm in my workplace um, and actually feel safe to be myself at work and I won't be judged or discriminated against. So I think for me, there's a definite movement towards that as opposed to the whole, you know, don't put your hand in the machine and don't. I remember my training when I first started in my very first job. There was loads of stuff like, you know, spillages, clear up spillages, put a caution wet floor sign, make sure you use the red mop for this and the blue mop for this and all that sort of stuff. You know, that's the stuff that would be traditional safety stuff for me. Yeah, I mean, I my. Um dad and granddad were butchers so I grew up the house was next door to the butchers so I was there just walking around with big spikes of meat and massive blades and they were just like yeah just just don't run 
and don't point it yeah, towards yourself. Yeah. And that, that was pretty much it. Um, and then they had a, a bin where they burn stuff and they're like, don't put your hand on the bin. I put the hand, I put my hand on the bin. I was a kid. Of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> but when you think, you know, wear a hard hat, wear boots, steel toe, like these are all yeah, now the, yeah. normal. Yeah, they're ingrained. Yeah, and I think more were emerging in terms of, well, actually, how do we get the most out of people by giving them safe environments to work in? And how do we make people feel safe by sort of letting them feel like themselves when they're in the workplace? Because a lot of it had to be the fit in culture, didn't it? You either fit in and fit in with what the company wanted or yeah. you weren't right for the company. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, there are still accidents, aren't there? There are still yeah. organ there's still industries whereby absolute physical safety is paramount. So if you work in a machinery plant or engineering or you know, you work on a wind farm and you deal with machinery, absolutely you need to be careful. But but you're right, there isn't so much emphasis on that anymore. The stuff I see in our world, like LinkedIn and and in you know, I get loads of emails at work, join this seminar and join this webinar and join this. And it's about this. It is mainly around psych psychological safety and feeling comfortable at work to be you and to be in a culture that actually supports you, regardless of what your situation is and what you're going through at work and at home. Yeah, and a really good example yeah, I can really give of that example. is if, you, if uh, my nephew is a tree surgeon, he's a climber, which if, if you don't know, um much about tree surgery there's one people that climb right the way up to the top and they loop it all up and all the ropes and then other people can go up and he's there with his chainsaw and stuff like that and actually he's trained from you know being young in all the safety precautions of that and everything goes mm. but more recently they're training him in terms of is he okay can he speak about these certain things at what point is he because if for example he has a lapse in judgment or he's not in a good place or something like that he could make an accident that impacts multiple people. You could cut a tree through a house, for example, like some of them yeah. are that big. And now there's a lot more focus in terms of the mental impacts that you can have in terms of being safe at work because there's quite a lot of regulation around physical health and safety. You know, there's a lot of certificates that you need. There's a lot of people that come and check yeah. you, but there's nobody really that does that from a psychological perspective, apart from maybe HR or, or a friend or yeah, someone well. like that, checking how you are. I think there's other people, James, but I think it's dependent on the organisation, isn't it, and culture? Because there's so many, uh, I guess there's so many situations now in work, but you're right. And what's in, as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, there are people who deal with really traumatic things as part of their day-to-day -day work. So, you know, people who work in A&E, that's the first example that comes to my head. Paramedics you know they deal with trauma day in day out where's their safety net and where's their support and their culture and, and you know i'm really familiar with let's talk about this and let's let's put this psychological support in for staff and stuff but i think sometimes there's a real disconnect between it being available and people knowing how to access it or or sometimes actually i think less is more so some some organisations have tons of stuff, and I just think that can be counteractive. I think that can be quite overwhelming. Just as a yeah, I, I think there's a couple. There's there's the 
let's put a business card with a telephone number on your desk if you need someone ring this number and they'll fix it i think that just try that's trying to cover too many things for me i get yeah you know, i get the idea of it but I, I, I did a session with um someone called daniel and lara who was a high function alcoholic and lara had an eating disorder they wouldn't just ring an ERP. oh by the way i'm this and they get on the phone to someone generally yeah I think sometimes it's about the, having the right solution for the right people. So what they talked about is there's an app, there's groups, there's people where you can join this thing and you can read what other people are doing that are suffering from the affliction and then they can decide to engage if they want or they can back out. And there's so many glass floors you've got to go through before you start to engage. You know, like people say you got hit mm. rock bottom. Well, rock bottom for most of these people is death. So it's before rock bottom yeah. where they might engage with someone and actually seek some help. And these types of safety concerns, you know, if someone's an alcoholic and they're cutting up a tree, they're not going to come into work and go, oh, by the way, massive booze pound. Yeah, of course Absolutely not. off my face. I know, I know I've lost my job, but I just want to tell you that I'm so drunk right now. It's unreal. And it's just not going to happen, is it? So there's no psychological safety in that type of thing because they're just going to get cut loose. You just said as well something interesting. I'll just pick up on it. You said the right support, the right for the right person, but at the right time as well. Yeah. Because there are people that so bereavement's a really good example for this. People respond to grief differently, and people will need different interventions at different times. And that could be a month in, it could be a year in, it could be ten years in. It's dependent on the person. But if you just do that one size fits all and go, here's a number, like you've just said, here's a number, ring this. And actually some people are quite proud and they don't want to engage with that because it's about that sense of failure and that sense of not being controlled and not actually holding it together. Because there are a lot of people like that just in life. There are a lot of people that are just like, no, I'll manage, I'll just carry on. And actually it's the wrong thing to do but there's that there almost needs to be that guardian angel to the side that says look i recognize that you're acting differently or you're a bit distracted or but and that's why i think when covid chucked us all out of the offices i think mental health got worse because you're not sat there you're not engaging with actual real life people someone's behind a screen and it's very easy on a screen to go i'm okay and do the hi yeah i'm fine i'm fine and then close your you know teams or zoom whatever you're on down and just go and sit in a corner and cry you can't do that in an office you couldn't do it in an office when you're visible so i think there's a lot of hiding and i think that's why we've seen that uh, mental health problems increase and maybe access to stuff like eap and oc health increase as well for mental health problems so how what do do we need to create sort of a situation where there's a face to the support within an organisation. Is, is that sort of a, a way that we can go about it? So, like, everyone's like, okay, well, if you've got a problem, this is Claire. You know Claire. Pick up the phone. Doesn't matter what it's about. and Just get it out, and she will help you. Like, do organisations need an actual person as opposed to a, a faceless number? Or is a faceless number sometimes the right solution? Or do they need both? I don't, I don't know. I, I think a mixture, because there are some people that don't want to engage. So we know there's different types of people. There are people who are quite comfortable in chatting. There are people who are quite shy. There are people with neurodiverse conditions who don't feel comfortable in talking to a person, can't engage properly because of their condition. They, they, It's not their comfort zone. So actually why then 
put them out of the picture and just say, no, this is the option. So I think a mixture is definitely the answer. But it's, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I do think as well, for different things, people need different types of support again. So you could be the same person in the same company for 20 years and it could change from I need somebody who's a bit faceless. I could just pick up the phone to or maybe a live chat. But this time I really need a human being in front of me. But it's, the variables are too vast, I think, to actually make that call. So, yeah, that's not answered the question, is it, really? But, you know, I've tried to rationalise my answer. No, I'm trying to think, are HR the right people to be that? Because so many people envisage HR as this, if I tell them something, they're going to fire me. Yeah, and, I don't know where that, that comes from, James. I think it comes from when redundancies happen, it's HR that put themselves in the front. That's, and, uh, one, that's one But that's thing. what people see. I don't, do you know what? I don't know. I, I think I think there needs to be a shift from HR as a function. And, and you know, we, we've been involved in loads of chats in, in different platforms over the past two years. And this is always something that always sits with me. I just think HR have evolved so much in some organisations whereby we're not traditional anymore. We are a really fluid um profession and we need to be stopped or we need to be stopped being seen as the problem solver of all people related things I'm, i feel really strongly about that because people just go oh people hr people hr and and you know people is like the the topics that fall under people are just limitless and it, it needs to stop there needs to be more accountability i think line managers need to be better prepped have these conversations and they need to be the first port of call because to me if I was out in an area and I didn't know the corporate function of HR I have a relationship with my line manager they'd be my first port of call they're the person I'd feel more comfortable in obviously that's dependent on relationship isn't it but it, there's, there's so much it's always HR it's always HR's issue to solve or problem to prop up or you know signposting to do it needs to stop being that I'm really kind of keen that that message gets out there to anyone who's listening to this it's it's just not our it's not our job to do that yes support but not to do now thinking about recognizing and addressing safety concerns there's there's and, and to have my rant on this based is um i i have this firm belief companies should be transparent about how they're performing what's going on what's going well what's going badly what needs to improve and, and everyone should be sharing data and, and talked about in HR analytics. I think HR analytics of sick leave and the number of people off sick, what's happening and stuff like that, so that people know what's yeah. what's going on needs to happen. But also there needs to be this constant reinforcement I, at every session about this is the help that's available. We understand that some people will be struggling with things that nobody knows about. This is where you can seek help. This is what we want you to do. We're here if you need us. And some people do that once a year, a year or once every time a new initiative gets launched and it's not yeah. enough because yeah people forget people forget 90 percent of what co is covered in a webinar within a week you'll have anyone watching this you'll have forgotten 90 percent of it within a week that's just how it james works is nice. james yeah, is nice. you'll remember claire just not none of what i say um therefore it needs constant reinforcement to to make it into your medium-term memory so that right. you're aware of what supports there. 
You're right. And to me, as a HR professional, I know what's available in work, but I need to be appreciative of not everyone has, has that in their kind of remit. And we, we talked about this at the beginning, didn't we? That health and safety stuff around physical health and safety is just that narrative's been on repeat and on loop for so long. You know, spillage, pit, clean it up, do this, do this, put a caution wet floor. Sack. That stuff's not even, you're not even thinking about it. It's in your subconscious. I think we need to get there with that mental health support. Definitely. There's, there's a huge opportunity there. We talk about this in work all the time. You know, we talk about our what we've got available for people in terms of support and the amount of people that say I didn't know about that. And I'm just like, what, what do you mean you didn't know about it? But actually, it's it makes sense. It does make absolute sense that people wouldn't be because it's not part of their everyday narrative. So let's talk about creating a safe and supportive work culture. Mm. How you, you go into a new company, you're, you know, in charge of that HR and you've got to start with the HR team first, if you're in charge of that team, and then you've got to build it out. How do you start by making people feel comfortable to approach you and discuss what they're worried about and what they're interesting? Do you know, I've got one magic trick here, James, that I use in every organization I go to and it's the whole do what you say you're going to do. And it's the deeds, not words. So, you know, that statue in St. Peter's yeah. Square and of Emmeline Pankhurst, she's got it in the back of her deeds, not words. It's it's something that I always live by in professional and personal life. Don't say you're going to do something and then don't do it because people won't trust you. And it's the same with anything. So, and actually, it takes time to build that trust. You can't go in and say to everyone, hey, my name's such and such. Trust me, not going to work. They need time to go, okay, Claire, for example, Claire said, she would do this if this happened the way for them to or us to build that trust is that happens and i do what i said i was going to do or i support them or i say i've got you back and i do that you have to demonstrate that with behavior which is why building trust takes time and why culture takes time especially if you go into an, or, an organization or a i don't know somewhere where people have been burnt and they don't trust those senior people around them. That's the hardest. And I've been in those situations and that message sometimes has been repeated every day for a year before people start to go, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. She means what she says. She, she's not just saying it to get into trouble. And, you know, some people take longer than others to get there and that's absolutely fine. But I think it's, it's that simple. It's that say it, then do it don't say it and then just give it lip service. Because we see that a lot. I mean, I know you've been familiar with that as well. We see that a lot in organisations. They say, look at this, great example, Pride Month just gone, right? Yeah. And the whole term rainbow washing. The amount of stuff I've seen with the um, LGBTQ plus rainbow and all this sort of stuff, when I know people who work in these organisations who um, identify as trans or as gay, who do not get the respect that they deserve. And I'm just like, this doesn't match this, does it? And when they don't match, you, you've got an issue. There's the element to it as well, which is, I, I, and by the way, I'm completely for it because I don't think we're anywhere near. If the respect was there, the month wouldn't be needed. And I... And it's not there, which is why it's still needed. It still needs to be. And, and all this just covering everything in a rainbow flag without changing the behaviours is, is not necessarily going to get there. There's, 
a lot of negative press at the moment, which isn't helping things when, you know, you, you just, the media is built on extremisms of stuff, you know, yeah. clickbait as opposed to actually the truth yeah. of the situation. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you in terms of I, if, if we get this right, it won't be needed. And that's fine because everyone's accepting, but at the moment it's needed, but it's, it's not just a tick box for this, that, and the other yeah. reason. There's, um, Part of it in America is to do with um, tax and uh, grading systems to get funding from a bank. You've got to have certain grades, and it's part of it. It's really dark over there when you dig into it. Um, but I won't go into that because it's all financial stuff. So, Thanks. Yeah. So when we talk about leaders, when we talk about fostering sort of safety and support within teams, it, it comes down to just simply say you're going to do something do it I'll probably add to that remind them that you've done it and you said you were going to do it because again yeah. people forget and that's not anything and be, kind. And be kind you you need to underline it with be kind because okay. people people forget and do you know what i've done it as well when i'm tired and i've just had enough at my and my patience is waning i'm just saying oh i can't but I will always do my best to go for for that person talking to me now. This is a big deal to them, which is why, you know, why people say. So I've been in situations whereby managers have gone, but it's only this and this has happened. And why? Why do they have to take time off work for that? And I'm like, because people are different and their resilience levels are different and their reactions to things are different. I know people that have lost people as in they've died and they've been in work and they've been OK. And I know people have lost people who've taken a year and a half off work, you know, but you can't you can't just say, oh, because I did it. This is what I, my expectation is of everyone else. And everyone deals with different things differently. And that's OK. I think sometimes you lose sight of that as a leader and you need to just take a step back and go, right. Just have a think that per to, to that person, this is a big deal. So somebody might fail an exam which is really important for work and that might be devastating for them but you don't know where their fears and their sadness is rooted from they could have been in you know they could have been bullied at school they could have been told they're not good enough you know there's a whole host of things which sit behind that initial reaction which you don't see because everyone's icebergs you see this tiny little bit but you don't see the narrative behind it and it's always it's hard to do it, Jay. I'm not going to sit here and go, "This is easy." It's not easy. It's not easy. And I've been, I've fallen over about it quite a lot of times in my career. But I'm human, so I kind of forgive myself. But you need to just go be kind. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give an example of where I got it wrong. I, I mentioned earlier, I grew up in a butcher, so animals to me are they come in, they grow, they go. So when someone was devastated about you know a pet or something like that, I was like, what? didn't understand yeah, it it's a good one um but actually for some people dogs more important than most of their family and stuff like that so I, you know from that perspective you you've got to be open to learning and as long as you're open to learning and constantly improving then you get better over time with things like this um yeah there's something as well with with i mean it's in a essential when you kind of supported on bringing up children what what people say from a psychological perspective is don't in don't miss represent their feelings so when children go i'm really upset because of this crayon broke the worst thing you can say is don't be silly 
that's ridiculous because to them at that moment that's really upsetting for them and we need to go you know we need to validate those feelings and go i hear you no judgment no solving nothing i hear you you must be really upset it's obviously really upset you because you're crying but I, I think we can translate that into adulthood i don't think we do that enough in adulthood we, we're too quick to judge for a million and one different reasons we laugh at people we laugh at people because sometimes that's a defense mechanism i think you know when people are very uncomfortable with something or they're not educated they're like oh yeah. i'll laugh because it's the only thing i can do but you know you're right the pet bereavement's a great one i and you're probably going to smile at this i had a i had a pet hamster years ago when he died i was i was gutted i cried in work for the whole day and everyone's like what's wrong and i had to i had to pretend something else was wrong so i thought if i say this they're gonna rip me forevermore that was my first feeling and my first thought that i couldn't say i'm actually really upset about this without fear of being judged or being laughed at yeah so well it kind of takes us on to psychological safety and then like there's like if you summarize it into four elements, you've got inclusion safety. So feeling like you, you can be part of the group and you, and you can do that. You've got learner safety. So the, the, the ability to ask questions and say, I don't understand and stuff like that. There's contributor safety. So to feel like you can actually give feedback positive or negative and not yeah. be scared of the ramifications um, and challenger safety, which is being able to challenge both up and down appropriately and feeling safe to do so that is not going to have a detrimental impact on your career or opinions or anything like that because you're challenging to make things better you know you're coming from a good place you're not just doing it to be difficult and they're they're probably the four elements that i think about the most um when it comes to it when you think of psychological safety you know what's what do you think about the workplace in terms of making it important for people and people understanding why it's important I just, you know what, this conversation is just so massive, isn't it? You just yeah. think I could talk, probably talk about this forevermore in, in, with loads of different hats on here. But it's interesting, that last one you said, what was the last one you said about the challenge? Yeah, I think we're a million miles away from that. I mean, I don't know about other countries, but definitely in the UK and, and with my fertility hat on, the people that come to us anecdotally via social media and say, I can't say this because I will be dismissed. I can't say I'm going for treatment because I will get sacked. And we know, we know this in the UK. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's um, support and protection for when people are pregnant. We haven't got that right. There are, there are thousands of women every year that sign NDAs because they are pregnant. That's it. They're pregnant. There's no other kind of narrative behind that. And if we haven't got it right when there's a protection in law, I feel that we've got a really kind of long way to go before people can just go, okay, you know, I, I can say I'm pregnant and, and it's okay. This is just an example that's in my head yeah. because I know there's a lot of work that gets done in this space, but we haven't even got that. And that's a psych, that's, that's life. That's what happens, right? People get pregnant. It's not going to stop. If it stops, the, hu the human race will in effect stop. Workplaces won't need any staff because we won't have any. They won't, we won't have anybody. So basically, that's how life carries on. We can't get that bit right. We can't get, you know, we can't get people to to speak up about abuse in work or people sexual um, assaults in work. We can't do any of that. And this has been going on for years. And I know it's more in the open now in terms of in the media and you know the, the most recent example of this BBC presenter, which is in the news currently. There's those conversations, but obviously someone hasn't felt safe to 
speak up and there won't be just that one person i'll guarantee it there'll be other people it'll be a cascade it's always a cascade isn't it yeah it's it's literally it'll be a floodgate so the jimmy jimmy savile things that's that's probably the one that's in my head the most while we're talking about this the amount of people that did stand up and did say this is happening to me and they got shoved aside and and that and that is a bitter bitter thing to swallow a bitter pill to swallow there and people who are treated like that so you'll get the people who aren't respected in society who are you know the people who maybe don't come from a, a family and are educated and all this sort of stuff and tick all these right boxes and they just get disbelieved and that's going to carry on the narrative carries on and carries on and that happens in the workplace as well because regardless of what people say, there's a ranking system in work and people will go, that person's more important than me. They're less important than me. And that that narrative carries on because that's how society works. And then people don't feel safe to speak about even even things like bullying. People yeah. don't talk about bullying. Especially and, and, and more so men. Men will be less likely to talk up about stuff like this. So there's a there's a whole narrative, and I do feel sorry for men in the workplace because actually there's a lot of provision, a lot of conversation about women and protecting women. But men get bullied, men get abused, men get dismissed for doing things, you know, when they shouldn't be dismissed. So there's there's that narrative as well. But we're not caught up with that either. Twenty I like, to, yeah. I like to think about it. Not that I like to think about men getting bullied in the workplace. <laughs> Slight wrong tangent. Um, I like, yeah, I, your example is brilliant in terms of like if you think about where we're not caught up, what we're not doing. It, it just it's it's a risk. Everything's a risk to some degree, and and we've got to make it as safe as we possibly can. I, I was when I was trying to think about how to explain the difference, sort of what psychological safety really is. And, and if, if you imagine, imagine you're in a room with your current peers, whoever you are, if you're watching this, Claire, you're in your room with your current peers. You can think about one person where if you said something, they would, they would lose their mind. They yeah. toys out the pram. They'd be fuming. They'd be like, no, no, you know, going to freak out if you say something. Whereas actual what psychological safety is, is you thinking not Bob's going to freak out if I say this or Sarah's going to freak out if I say this, but my team expects me to say this because it needs to be said and I feel safe enough to bring it up because whilst it may be a difficult conversation, people are going to try and understand that point of view and that's what we want to happen. Um, yeah. And that's probably the main difference. It's are you encouraged do, do people expect you to say something or do you, are you worried that people are going to freak out if you say it? See, I, I think you can say a lot of stuff in the workplace as long as you, it, it's not just about your words though, is it James? It's about your tone and it's about your timing and it's about your body language. We know that we know through communication research, it's not just about your words and actually Sometimes I think more trouble is created by people not being transparent and honest. That's probably my biggest challenge in work from a HR perspective that, you know, managers will speak to me and say, I'm having problems with this person. Their performance is poor. How long it's been like this? Ten years. And you've never said anything. So I'm like, you kind of can't say anything now 
because it's going to look really bad. And you know this. I'm sure you've been subject to these conversations. Someone will say, I've done this job for 20 years and no one's ever complained about me before. Or I've done it for 20 years and I've never had a bad appraisal. And I've seen it. I've seen it play out in front of me where a manager's too scared to be honest because they don't know how to handle that situation or that conversation because they're scared of the reaction. They're scared of getting into trouble when actually all you're doing is saying, and you can always do it because if you base your feedback or your conversation on real life data, so I would say this to my team, don't base it on emotion and opinion because then you've lost it straight away. If you're talking to someone, say, for example, about you did this meeting, this, say that again. Oh, I froze. You froze. You completely froze. Yeah, I can see you again now. Am I back? Um, you said Am I back? completely focus on data. And then you went like this. Yeah. And I was I was saying, um, and not emotion, because when you focus on data, someone's got something tangible and it's not your opinion and you're not forcing that on somebody. So when you can say something like you're, you know, you in that meeting, you said this, this and this, and people's reaction was this. And here's the recording and I can show you. Do you know what I mean? That's You can't argue with fact. And that's actually puts you in a really strong position. And it also, whether the person agrees with you or not, yeah, it's in front of you. That's like saying, this is a pencil. Yeah, this is a pencil. And someone go, no, no, it's it's a it's a felt it was a pencil. So it's just kind of that that's kind of it. That's that's the conversation we're having. But people don't people just don't even go there. They don't even try it. And I think that's a, a big fear in in managers. They don't want to upset anybody and they don't want to say anything wrong. But by not saying something, I think you make the situation or potentially make it 20 times worse. And I've had people in work when they've had a bereavement and the manager's not said anything because it's, it's too difficult to have that conversation, they feel undervalued and not looked after because someone's not even gone and said, I'm really sorry for your loss. Simple. And I, I've had, I had this conversation with Natalie when we were doing the um, having difficult conversations. Right. Um, and just the whole not saying anything allows people to draw their own conclusions. Yeah, normally, it's not good it's wrong normally the conclude you're like oh they don't care about me well it's probably because they do care about you they don't want to make you feel worse or you know that i'm doing a great job well actually you might be doing a terrible job they just don't know how to bring it up and then natalie used this example of a, of a woman who went in taught for a week never went back and has been paid for 20 years like no one just wanted to fix it and now it's all sort of up in the air and they're, they're dealing with it all and stuff like that because this this teacher just never went back and every person that came in was like, mm, next person I'll solve it, next person, oh, it's been so long. And, and they've just left it. And sometimes it's just about addressing it. Now, next we've got sort of on the, on the thing is, is building psychological safety. And I'll give you an example of what, I've done in a previous role is we took over a business that wasn't doing very well. Um, mm. So we came in, we had to make some redundancies, we had to restructure it and stuff like that. Um, and then we were very honest about what we were doing. Everyone got on board with what we were trying to do. But then what we wanted to start to do was empower the next level so that there was succession planning. 
and that people could step up and people could start to build into roles and develop and start to gain autonomy and structure. And there was a big fear. Like we were in a room. We were these. There was three of us that were that were leading this. Three people that have come up with all the solutions, told everyone what's happening, stuff like that. We were sat in that room. We we're asking people ideas. People didn't want to say anything because they were scared that you know the next round if they said something bad. So we removed ourselves from the situation, gave it yeah. to the next layer of management down, um, the SMT as they were called, and they ran the session. And then they fed back to us. And then. Obviously, we ensured that you gave the positive feedback back. And then we spoke to everyone about how good it was. And we built that psychological safety and confidence by removing ourselves from the situation. Sometimes the best way that you can build psychological safety is by empowering people to actually take control of the situation and then feeding back. Ideally, then you don't smash it to pieces and say it's a terrible idea. How could you ever do this? Because then you ruin it all. But help people grow help people find better solutions and, and removing yourself from the equation sometimes can really help build and cultivate psychological safety among staff and employees because you're feeding back about what they've done right and they feel more confident to do more things right so that's one of the approaches we've taken or i've taken yeah. in a previous role what about you claire how have you gone about it in the past oh i'm doing what you said I mean... you're going to do it's yeah apart from that one thanks that was that was my golden ticket that's the one that i use in in most organizations because the thing is oh james that that covers so much doesn't it and i i understand why you did what you did in terms of the succession planning and and to get people to speak about their good ideas but actually fundamentally you know if you're going to get someone to to believe in you then actually you i think you have to be present for part of that. You have to be seen. You have to be visible. Um, and actually, when you're taking over or, or dealing with a difficult situation or a difficult organisation or something that's a challenge, think as well, talking to people and listening. That's probably my other one. Listening to people and just actually understanding. Because I think as humans, what we try and do is we try and offer solutions and problem solve with anything so you need friends come to you and they go got this problem in my relationship or this is wrong or this is wrong and people immediately go to oh have you tried this 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 and this 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 or i need to lose weight that's probably a really good one and people go try this try this try this and actually think when you hold a safe space for somebody to just talk people come to their own conclusions and they can help themselves and that's that's part of coaching right that's part of the coaching model whereby people talk and they they find that solution they don't actually need that help from somebody else so just using an example where i worked in a in a supermarket and there was a there was an absolutely horrendous absence problem in there and it was because people didn't mainly apply policies and procedures correctly but i spent the first month of my time in that shop walking the shop floor and talking to people about stuff and saying why is it why is it you feel like you need to ring in sick for this and that and the other? And it, you know, that uncovers loads of stuff. So by listening, you come up with all this root cause stuff like, well, I wanted some time off and I put annual leave in and it was refused. Therefore, I went off sick. And you start those emerging themes come through, but they don't come through with sitting people in a room. They come through with you face to face with somebody having a chat or having a coffee or talking to somebody, but actually doing more of the listening than the talking bit and asking those questions. Why do you feel like that? 
what happened next how did that make you feel i think that's a big one that's a game changer for me how did you feel can't remember the name of the book but what you've just described is how the fbi approach trying to get a confession out of a murderer so they, they don't do it on a group level they make sure that it's one-on-one -on -one and they try to get them talking oh and then God. they start to ask them questions and then they draw it out of them and then they put them in the scenario and then they build that friendship and so, i mean basically what you're trying to do is get a confession out of a serial killer is what you're telling me oh my god i d thanks for that i'll never <laughs> think of my tactic the same ever again i thought that was quite a quite a really it is it's an advanced fbi technique yeah who knew who knew it's amazing <laughs> well it's true nobody wants to announce to a group of people and, and i think the point of this is nobody wants to announce to a group of people something that they're probably a little bit anxious about something that they're probably yeah. a little bit scared about they want to speak to someone that they've built some level of trust and confidence with and yeah. when they communicate yeah. that to you active listening confirming you've understood what they've tried to say so saying it back to them and then not going not to a thousand with it is probably the final essential piece that you know I, I didn't let you get yeah. to because I told you it was an FBI technique. Um, because it, the second you go nuclear with it, all the trust's gone. Whereas the second they've invested that, then the next level of trust there and the next level of trust there, and it and it builds and builds and builds. And like you said, it's over time and you do it over and over again. And it's kind of crucial, isn't it, that employees feel empowered to speak up. Because if nobody speaks up, nobody knows the problems. And if nobody knows the problems, then a whole set of BBC chaos, Jimmy Savile stuff could be going on that nobody knows about. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, I regret maybe using that example now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry, but how Very do current. You, yeah. How, how do you start to sort of, I, I get you do it from a one-on-one -on -one basis and stuff like that, um, but at the same time, you need to show people on a group level that, you know, people speaking up has value and stuff like that, so, but you don't want to undermine the one-on-one -on -one conversations. How do you sort of start to bridge that gap where you're speaking to people on a group level and letting them know what people are saying? Do you do like anonymous surveys, feedback forms, suggestion boxes? They're all a bit naff, aren't they? Yeah, I do you know what I do? I'm just I'm just thinking of an example that I do in work. And what I find, what I find in every workplace I go into, people do amazing things. Groups of people do amazing things and they don't tell anyone, right? They don't tell anyone. They don't ever go, we've done this because it's not familiar to us as human beings to go, I'm really great at this. I did this really well. This is something to celebrate. And what I do regularly. And, you know, I, I will invite anyone who knows me who's who potentially is watching this in the future to verify this. Because, again, these are not just words. I do do this. When someone does something really well, I will email my chief people officer and my deputy director and I will say, look at this. Look at this. I do that consistently because what that does is it raises their profile. It raises my team's profile so not just the individual it raises the team profile and it actually puts you at that level where people are talking about you for good things because you, you know working in hr james you get you get the criticism no matter what you do or how you do it you are the you are the punch bag for organizations finance will blame you i don't know other areas will blame you because it's hr's fault or hr told me or this happened or they did this but it was your decision 
And I think what we don't do is we don't celebrate that success and we don't shout about it. So it's about making some noise around, look at me. And it isn't arrogant. People people I talk to in my team go, that's a bit arrogant and it feels a bit uncomfortable. It does feel uncomfortable. But I, I saw a speaker recently called Steve Head and he talked about having a glimpse of brilliance folder where you put everything in that you've done really well. It's almost like a journal that recognises things that you've done well. And actually, do you know when you're feeling a bit rubbish about yourself, there's nothing better than looking back and going, I did that, I created that, these are my successes. And when people, again, it acts as a, as a practical guide as well, because when you go for a job interview, the amount of people that say to me, I haven't done anything, and I'm like, what about this, what about this, what about this? And they go, oh, I forgot about that. Because they don't keep that like continual, continual professional development log. That's what it is. It's like a record of achievement, but in a modern world... Oh, I, do you know what? I Yes, I still have mine. It's in the oh, lock. God, you I, do. I can't even throw it. I can't even throw it out. It was just, do you know how, how excited I was in, in the 90s, the early yeah. 90s? To get Every that. employer's going to want to see this. Are they now? They don't. But I can't. But again, that's how important that was to me at the time. And actually, mm. again, we talk about Steve talked about anchors. And if I hold that in my hand, I still feel that sense of pride. And I know that probably sounds ridiculous. I still feel that sense of pride that I had when I was 16, which was decade, literally decades ago, decades plural. Um, you know, I, I remember that moment and I remember that that's that that was me and that was my achievement and i think because we don't focus on what we do well we focus on what we do badly and that actually affects that affects everything that affects psychological safety it's like managers managers who don't present psychological safety or encourage it because people they have their own fears and failings about how how they act and they don't want to be judged and called out and in trouble i think there's that that layer it's the one in 10 rule isn't it so if Let's say, for example, you have a good experience somewhere, you'll tell one person. If you had a bad experience somewhere, you'll tell 10 yeah. people. And it's exactly the same, except it's, it's about yourself. And you don't remember yeah. what you've done that's well. I, I, I was speaking to someone the other day who's who's trying to sort of transition to a different job and stuff like that. They're working in HR and they're like, I need to do this course, this course, this course. And I was like, well, why? Because don't. I've never done it. And I was like, well, if you do courses in it, why, tra why transition into a job? How would you approach it? And they go, well, I do this, this, this. Right, so you know how you'd approach it. You know what the solution is. The fact that you've not done it at X scale or you've done it at this doesn't mean you don't have a plan. The plan yeah. is all you need. And, and it's that level of confidence, isn't it, to go, oh, I've done this and I've done this. And you connect those two together, it makes this. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a good idea, actually, to have, like, they make, um, designers do it all the time, don't they? Like, have a file of things that you've designed to show people because they want to see oh, yeah. it. Yeah. to your portfolio you're right we don't do it enough and i encourage anyone watching this to have something call it whatever you like but have something where you can go back and go i did that i i keep all my email successes everyone that emails me and work says thanks this has been really great it's been really i keep it i keep it in a like file in my in my outlook account because i think it's really important to reflect back on things because you can easily get dragged down can't you when things aren't mm -hmm. going well and when you've made a mistake and you've messed up, you're just like, oh, this is awful. Because you don't go into that black and white thinking, I'm, I'm rubbish at my job. I do this, I do that, I do the other. And that's not true. 
because life is good then it's bad and then it's good and then it's bad and good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and so on and so forth but you know i just think we need to be a bit kinder to ourselves so we talked about being kind to other people we equally need to be kind to ourselves don't we and, and recognize that and that makes us better leaders and managers james so i think then that translates into the whole conversation we're trying to have this evening yeah and yeah this is the thing if if you can't be good in yourself you can't provide that environment for others because deep down you're not living it you're not believing it yeah um we're gonna try and close this off with uh feeling safe at work and unpopular opinions so in terms of an unpopular opinion about feeling safe at work do you have one i think for me management and leaders i'm going to use the term interchangeably here think that by doing this this is something else i've got to do and it isn't it isn't something else it's just evolutionary in terms of style and it's about you know we, we know things change all the time people people 50 years ago 60 years ago didn't get divorced because that wasn't the done thing people didn't have babies out of wedlock it wasn't the done thing life moves on and with that movement and that progression comes different challenges. And actually, we just need to be, it's not, God, I now need to know about how to manage one of my team if they've if they've lost a pet or if they've lost a member of their family or if they get a cancer diagnosis. All that stuff's irrelevant. It's irrelevant what the topic is. Fundamental bit and the underlying bit is, can I support them and can are they do they feel safe enough to come to me and ask for help that's it and that's you know a lot of people are like oh it's this and i've got to do this and you know and i know people that go oh mental health first aid is that something else that we've got in the workplace now we have to consider as well as first aid as well as this and i think those opinions are very narrow-minded they're not you know they're not forward thinking enough for me and actually you just need to be just mindful of different challenges for different people at different times don't know if that's an unpopular opinion, but maybe my my one um, is if you think you've got this cracked with an employee assistance number and that's your solution, you're wrong. You don't care about people's psychological safety or mental safety in the workplace. You are just trying to farm out that responsibility to a third party faceless company because you really don't care about your people. Um, and I'm tick a box and tick a box yeah. because people put it on there we have an eap we have this you can this is all this other stuff you can take your birthday off we've got we've got a vending machine you can dress down friday i don't care about that stuff i care that i can go into work i can break down crying and someone's not going to go you need to leave yeah that's the stuff or do you need to leave <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a dip see same words yeah. different order um but yeah that, that that's mine i i think if if someone's yeah, you're right just ticking a box with that number then they really don't care um don't get me wrong i think it's got its place but it comes in a package of solutions that actually come from listening to staff and engaging with staff uh in a yeah, multitude of ways thank you very much claire this has been making people feel safe at work Make sure that you check out what's going on on Fertility Matters and the work that they've been doing with CNIPD for fertility treatment in the workplace.
Thank you very much. And we will catch you on the next one. Take care. Thanks.